Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Tech Sideline Podcast. The Hokies got off to a great start in their 2021 season on Friday night with a 17-10 upset win over number 10 North Carolina. On episode 188 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we are going to take you through all of the action from Friday night and see what it means for the Hokies after starting the season 1-0. and All of that and more starts right now on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Whether you are listening live or archived on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Amazon Music, or you are watching live on YouTube, we welcome you into episode 188 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lyman. Today, across the way, we have Will Stewart, our founder and general manager. To my left, Chris Coleman, our lead analyst and columnist. We have a packed house behind the scenes today. Malcolm Stewart has returned, the greatest podcast producer in the land, and he is training Jack Brisson dine behind the scenes who will be helping out producing and i believe you mentioned he's also going to cover wrestling this year and we have our new uh position i guess on the podcast our man in the chair is nick brown to my right so we got a packed house today it should be fun we're going to go through everything that went down on friday night with the Hokies 17 to 10 win over number 10 north carolina want to mention that the tech sideline podcast is presented by the southeast regional training center you can help bring olympic hopeful athletes to blacksburg and help join one of the fastest growing wrestling programs in the country make sure to go to southeast southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today well, guys, should be a fun podcast today. I think we were talking after the podcast on Thursday or Wednesday, excuse me, that uh, it could be a very different mood depending on how Friday's game went. And obviously a little happier considering Tech won 17 to 10, winning their first game at home over a top 10 team in almost a decade. Yeah, that's awesome. The uh, subject matter today does not suck. This is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we're not even going to really nitpick anything today. <laughs> well, just... I don't know. I'll, I'll probably find some nits to pick. But yeah. uh, you know, I mean, you could, but. Like to me, like this was a week of we've nitpicked the program enough over the last uh, <laughs> over the last couple of years. So I, I'm gonna dial back from that this week at least. All right, very very nice. I, I just I just I had this thing in me. I've, I've been doing this for so long that I always feel the need to pump the brakes. You know, so <laughs> oh I, my brakes are pumped. I'm not saying that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying that they're gonna go undefeated you. and win the national championship. I mean, I saw some holes too. Yeah, but I'm not. I don't want to talk about them this week. <laughs> All right, good enough. All right, so if we select the college football playoff field today, Virginia Tech's in there, right? Is that absolutely? <laughs> <laughs> well, if the ACC championship game was next week, that's true. You, yeah. If if you want to overreact <laughs> to week one, uh, it certainly looks like Virginia Tech could win the ACC championship this year. <laughs> After week one, for sure. I 
I want to get started first talking about the environment in Lane Stadium on Friday night. I think that was something that we talked about late on Wednesday's podcast was, was it going to live up to the hype of being the Terror Dome and Enter Sandman being as big as it has been over the past few years? In my eyes, I thought it lived up to the hype, and I think social media kind of went crazy over it on Friday night. Yeah, uh, I was surprised in some ways. Even like an hour before the game, I was walking through Lot 5, and Lot 5 was only about 50% filled with cars. Hmm. And so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, like there's not going to be that many people at the game. So in the end, I'm not exactly sure where they came from because there were a lot of empty <laughs> spots in the, in the parking lots. They now, poured out of stadium right, woods. Right. No, uh, you know, I, I sat – I sit south enough in the east stands where I can look over as the stadium kind of wraps around and I can see the student section. The student section was packed. Uh, There was a section right behind me about three by eight that was totally empty, starting with the row behind me. And then you could look over in the west stands and there were some swaths of empty seats over there. And obviously the the seats in in the south end zone that are never filled right. these days but uh on the whole it was it was a good crowd it was an active crowd and a loud crowd and, and they stayed engaged throughout the entire game i thought the students really showed up you know yep. they, they filled the north end zone and facing the east stands it's all students up in that upper that that left side up into the corner right yep. it was full up into the corner and and I, I thought it looked great um so the last i checked like last night the acc network tweeted out not last night, but, you know, uh, Friday they tweeted out the uh, ESPN's presentation of Inner Sandman, and I'll get to that in a second. And as of last night, that Twitter video had been viewed something like 11 million times. <laughs> so um, it's really cool because we all we all like Inner Sandman and all that stuff, but millions of people are watching that and are excited. And um, But I got to – I got to, and I'll do this in my article today as well. I got to call ESPN a little out a little bit. Their presentation of Inner Sandman on television was poor. I thought when they cut the camera to Sam Howell, as soon as the team was starting to run out on the field, I thought that was kind of silly. Now, I will say that they did a good job. They pretty much only put the camera on the student section, which was totally filled. Right. They didn't show parts of the stadium where the crowd wasn't totally filled in or everything yeah. like that. But I know what you're saying. Like, like as soon as uh, as soon as the team started to run on the field, they put the camera on. They Sam cut Howell. to Sam Howell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even even while Andrew Sandman was playing, they cut to Mac Brown for seemingly no reason right. uh, during it. So I agree. Uh, you tweeted about start or uh, jump around for Wisconsin, yeah, which yeah. I thought they did a phenomenal job. Fox did. They showed the entire thing, which I don't think they'd done before. Yeah, if you go look at my Twitter feed, Will Stewart TSL, uh, one of my recent tweets is a retweet of uh, them doing jump around at. at Camp Randall? Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. Um, just that, that, and I said, that's my second favorite tradition in college football. And they did a much better job of the presentation. They cut to the fans. They cut to the players. They even cut to their sideline reporter, you know, doing, doing her thing. It was really well done. And it's not like ESPN doesn't know how to do it or saying, man, they've crushed it before. Yep. They just didn't do that great of a job. And I think it may have been because it was the Friday. It wasn't the Saturday night primetime game because yeah. when it's Fowler and Herb Street, usually they'll go all the way through it. They'll start with the team walking out of the locker room and all that. But this one, it seemed like they jumped in with the broadcast right as Enter Sandman started playing. And it's and, always better at night, too, and this one wasn't at night. And one of the things I think was missing was, did they have a sky cam for this game? They did not. Yeah, see, that really helps with, with presenting Enter Sandman because you can kind of swoop in and out and stuff like that. But we're, we're probably 
over talking. We this. said we weren't going to nitpick. We're nitpicking ESPN. <laughs> now that said, I do like uh, Jason Bernetti. What's the play? Benetti. Benetti. Yeah. I like Benetti, and I and I really like Andre Ware. And and Andre was extremely. And and I won't, this is kind of getting the things early. Andre as a former quarterback with a with a very productive passing offense in his day was very complimentary of Brad Cornelson's play calling. Not his game plan, yes, but specifically his play calling. So, when when a guy who played the position, who I think is not prone to hyperbole, he was very complimentary of Cornelson's job calling the game. Well, one more thing I want to get to on the environment before we go into the actual football that was played. Something that I was always thinking about with this game was back in 2019. It seemed like students would show up for Enter Sandman, and then half of them would leave. Yeah. That was not the case on Friday night. You look in the fourth quarter; the entire North stands were completely filled. I think mm-hmm. that may speak to if the Hokies can keep finding ways to win. Maybe the student buy-in will start to get a little bit better. Yeah. As long as it does for the big games, like yes. That one. I don't don't know what'll be the case <laughs> for Middle Tennessee this week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you may trend back more towards normal. Um, but uh, one of the things I'm going to write in my article later today is, you know, I think he went around and asked what keys to the game were, and Chris and I talked about players and things like that. And to his credit, David said, get off to a good start. Mm-hmm. And so what do they do? They go right downfield and score a touchdown, and that keeps people in their seats when you're, when you're good from the opening gun. Well, and that helps the crowd get into it on defense as well, and that's where I want to start off on the football side today. The defense looked phenomenal. I mean, you look outside of the tunnel screen that went for a touchdown, pretty much a flawless game from Justin Hamilton uh, heading into his first real full season as the defensive coordinator. So uh, for you guys, how impressed were you with the defense? And do you think that can keep uh, continue to carry over throughout the season, seeing that type of performance? Uh, yeah, very impressed. Uh, I think if you look at it from an outside-in perspective, I think the dominance of Virginia Tech's cornerbacks on the outside – really really set the tone uh howell was five of 12 for 46 yards and interception when targeting tech's uh three outside cornerbacks waller dorian strong armani chapman um they basically had no success at all unless they went to the middle of the field and most of that success came against zone even against man coverage against tech safeties and whips that they did they didn't do particularly well josh downs gave uh Oh, gave Chamari Connor a little bit of trouble, as you would expect, but he's going to give a lot of guys trouble. He he yeah. looks like the one UNC receiver that is legit is ready to get and out. is up to speed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so uh, so that's from an execution standpoint, especially on the outside, I thought was, was really good. Uh, the, the game plan was unique, and it's one of those game plans that you can come up with when you have an entire offseason to think about it. Uh, they line one of the things they did is they lined Armani Chat not Armani Chapman Amari uh, Barno Amari Barno up at linebacker depth didn't have him on the end of the line a whole lot uh, and he would just kind of shadow spy Sam Howell. Um, football is a game of give and take and now obviously when you use Barno that way then you've kind of got a defensive tackle playing defensive end right and so so Tech they gave up the outside run. Uh, I mean, you saw UNC success having success on, on, with the outside running game. And part of that, to me, was because Barno was not on the edge ever a, a, at all, or hardly ever. And But, I mean, I think considering Phil Longo's 
career as a kind of an air raid offensive coordinator and you know Sam Howell was the strength of their offense that was a risk worth worth taking and without those two NFL running backs that kind of exposes Longo and the UNC offense for what it is it's an air raid offense they like to go down to the field with finesse they don't punch you in the mouth hmm. um uh, so the other thing is, uh, you know, for obvious passing downs, like third and long, sometimes they would take off Dax Holyfield, bring in the third cornerback. So Waller would move down to nickel and Chapman would be the outside corner. In fact, I think that's the form that might've been the formation they were in when, uh, Chapman had that big hit. I, I don't remember, but, uh, so you, you saw a couple of specialty type things and we won't see those against every opponent yeah. this year. Uh, that, I think they were those two strategies were unique to to the UNC offense so I, I think the 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 strategy was sound and and I, I think Tech had the horses particularly on the outside and uh yeah you know that they, they played it about as well as you can I mean you hold UNC to 10 points you hold anybody to 10 points that's yeah you can't complain <clears throat> so Chris texted me after game said uh, lowest points scored for a Mac Brown team since 1997 I, I don't think wow. that turned out to be true okay um, I think it. I think it was the lowest points for a Mac Brown UNC team. Okay. okay. S- since then, I, I think some somebody on our board went over and uh, looked through the Texas numbers and saw one game they scored like seven points or something right. like that. But uh, so the, at any rate, the tunnel screen was just just the wrong call at the wrong time. Yep. Um, it was one of the few times that Tech blitzed, uh, and they just happened to empty out the part of the field that the that the play went to. It's just one of those things. Um, so Chris is absolutely right about about the coverage on the perimeter. If you go look at PFF's preliminary grades, um, all of the corners rated pretty high in coverage. Um, it's funny, you know. We'll talk a lot about Chamari Connor lately. They they really didn't give Chamari a very good grade in coverage, but I thought he did okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but yes, I saw a lot of three man rush with Barno hanging around at the linebacker level, and that one play where he. He went out and he hit Sam Howell and knocked the ball out of his hands. You know, I, I almost talked about do you uh, do you spy Sam Howell uh, on the last podcast, but I, I didn't bring it up. You, you normally think about spying with like a guy who's noted for being a mobile quarterback, which is not something he's noted for being. I mean, he, obviously he can get out and escape. He did it yeah. the, the, the other night. Yep. But you normally think about, oh, that guy – is going to burn you for 100 yards or or you might spy Kenny Pickett or somebody like that. I, I wouldn't have thought about Sam Howell, but it worked. Well, I, th- I think one of the things Tech was probably concerned about on defense was Howell breaking the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield, and, and then you've got uh, a scramble drill going. Mm-hmm. And that's that's also another reason why you spy a guy. So when he breaks the pocket, you can have somebody in his face. And I thought I thought that part of the game, Braxton Burmeister played it much better, breaking the pocket and completing passes downfield. Yeah, and not every team is going to have someone so unique as Amari Barna where they can use that game plan. Yeah, not only athletic, but very tall and lengthy. Yeah, and- Howell's best play of the game, in my opinion, came on their last drive when he completed that 4th and 11. Yeah, two good ass. plays back-to-back. Yeah, and the 4th the and 11 one – he was rolling to his left, so he had to throw back across his body. And Barno was right in front of him, and he had to throw directly over Barno to complete that fourth and 11 pass to his receiver. He actually did it, yeah. which is some indication of his talent level. you know. But, yeah, I thought that was an interesting matchup. That, that for, just from a pure X's and O's standpoint, you, know, you don't remember most games in the past, uh, but you'll always remember this one for the uniqueness of the game plan, I think. Yeah. 
Well, and I think we, our main conversation last week was how do you stop Sam Howell? He's possible number one pick in the draft. I think the easy answer would be get pressure on him and play good coverage on the outside, and mm-hmm. Tech pretty much executed that flawlessly. Six sacks, and, and you know, you'd have to go back and look at the advanced numbers, but, you know, like you said, Tech didn't seem to blitz very, very often. Right. Yeah. Um, I remember the Mario Kendrick sack where he just came free right up the middle. Uh, Garbutt had a couple of sacks, and I owned one of them was, was like a, it was a fake handoff. It was a play action, and uh, he and it was almost like a, re, it was an RPO basically. Uh, he faked the handoff, or maybe he would have handed it off with a different read. And Garbutt did a great job of staying focused on the running back, and then when it became clear that Sam Howell was keeping the ball, he just left the running Boom. back and went down the line of scrimmage yeah. and sacked Sam Howell. He was. Would you say that's Garbutt's most disruptive game you've seen? Well, him I think play? he only had two sacks his whole career, and then he had two the other night. Yeah, yeah. he he was just he was all all over the field, and uh, you know the Tech got some good pressure up the middle. We talked about that last week, and nothing messes up a quarterback like pressure up the middle, as we saw in the last play of the game. Yeah, yeah, and and again the um, the the PFF grades are preliminary, but guess who Tech's highest grading defensive player was. I no, want to say Josh no, Fuga. No, <laughs> flex. Narelle Pollard. Mm-hmm. Wow. Sure was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had the big deflection, but in general, you know, he played a really good game, and that was a concern of mine. Like, how good of a fit for the system is he with his size? Uh, there will be, be different challenges, Once and there'll they, be better offensive lines. Yeah, I think. Too. Well, there will be different offensive lines, yeah. a different style. Like Carolina's going to fin- try to finesse their way down the field. Yeah. Um, other teams will try to play smash smash bleh, smash mouth football and hit you right in the mouth. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be different. And maybe you don't hold up quite as well against those teams as you do against North Carolina or not. I don't know. That that's We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But, yeah, l- looking through the grades, all four of Tech's defense. Well, Kendricks actually didn't grade out very well. Yeah, I thought he but, played well, but he didn't grade I, I, out yeah, well. Yeah, I know. So. But, now, again, these are, uh, these are preliminary grades at this point. Yeah. And sometimes grading can be kind of harsh for interior alignment on, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. But, uh, you know, again, no nitpicking, not going to complain. Good <laughs> <No>. performance. <laughs> well, we talked a lot about Jordan Williams and what kind of impact he would have on the team. And it seemed like he played pretty well. And he came through in that biggest spot at the very end, was able to get the pressure on Howell that forced that last pick. If those four guys, especially Williams in the middle of that line, can be as effective as they were on Friday night, that makes this team a lot more dangerous with Barno and Garbett coming off the edge and those four up the middle. I, th- I think... You know, you're talking about four guys, Jordan Williams, Mario Kendricks, Josh Fuga, and, and Narelle Pollard. And that's enough. If they, if they stay healthy and, and they all stay productive now, like Chris mentioned, you might have some issues with Pollard in, in certain games. Yeah, I mean, Clearly not staying missing. healthy is, is the issue. No. Uh, I remember in 2008, which, you know, was still – it was a 10-1 season for Tech, but considering how awful the ACC was, it was probably the most undeserved 10-1 season ever tech only played three defensive tackles that year wow but they managed to keep them all healthy so you 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 can get by with with no depth basically at one position if everybody stays healthy and force plenty if you stay healthy yep i agree well looking back at the secondary we mentioned shamari connor he got a lot of flack last week talking about his 
previous performances against Sam Howell had given up 200 yards, three touchdowns, 13 of 14 passing. He came through in some big spots. He had the big pick at the end. And even though you said he may not have graded out pretty well, it seemed like he at least held his own. I, I just watching the game. And then when I went home and, you know, dialed up PFF on Saturday or Sunday or whenever, I, I didn't think his grade re- was reflective of his performance on the field. Yeah. Now, now we knew UNC was going to test the interior of Tech's defense in the passing game, and we knew they would go after him based on the success they had him, against him the last two years, and they sure did. Uh, out of Howell's 31 attempts, uh, 12 were targeting Connor, whether that's in man coverage or in zone or whatever. Now, he only gave up seven completions this time, nice. as opposed to 13 or 14 the, the last two years. Um now, you know, he did give up 93 yards, but 93 yards on 12 attempts, you know, you can't you can't really complain about that. And Just, just how, he, how many guys he, are going to be good at playing that he, position? Well, it really takes a special athlete. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, right. Anybody who's going to be better in coverage than Connor is probably not going to be as good against the run. Yeah. You know, there are very few Kyle Fullers out there, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just a very, very difficult position to play in the modern game but you know he made he made a big tackle on josh downs that, that possibly saved the touchdown and the yes. game yes uh now connor's tackling grade was, was pretty high, high. he yeah, tackled exactly. really well yeah. and uh then of course he came through with the interception at the end of the game when when jordan williams was wrapping up Howell, and Howell did his best ryan willis impression and just tossed the ball over his shoulder down the field that was almost the exact same play that got willis benched against unc two years ago right or if you remember if you recall hooker got hurt so they brought in willis and like the first possession of the second half he was rolling out and and just threw it over his head down the field it's like what are you doing and, and they, they, they just pulled they the took, took him out took him out and never played him again they put in now, quincy. i mean quincy couldn't even execute more than eight or ten plays against Notre Dame. They still wouldn't put Ryan Willis in because, <laughs> because, because of that. And then Sam Howell goes out, pretty much did the exact same thing. And the only difference is a Tech player caught it and a UNC player didn't catch it. And that was the ago. only time Howell did it, did it. Didn't he complete another? Well, he, he completed one with somebody. I don't think he completed but, but it. But he the got receiver, it away. The receiver yeah. dropped it. It, it was, was kind of down here. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good throw. Well, it seemed like late in the game, Sam Howell was being forced to do it all. I mean, we mentioned the 4th yeah. and 11 conversion. He did it on 4th and 6, too, but there was the an eligible man downfield uh, penalty, too. That, that was, you know, they had several of those. And to me, that's an indicator of just their offense being in confusion and how Virginia Tech's game plan sort of uh, sort of – threw them out of whack so to speak like you don't know where your quarterback is he's he's rolling out so much because his initial read isn't open and and that's where i that's where i thought he struggled is so much of their offense is is based on the first read and he can tell on alignment where his first read is and his receivers were so dominant in the past that he very rarely ever had to go past his first read and there were several times in the game where i noticed you know he would look downfield and his first read was just completely covered up by Virginia Tech defenders. And then when he would start to look for his second read or his third read, he would overthrow them. Like he threw overthrew his tight end a couple times. Uh, yes. Yeah, right. And that was those those were and those were second read plays and it just seemed like he got happy feet when he had to go past his first read cuz he had all those NFL receivers and he never had to do that before. So speaking of uh stuff the defense um one of the questions was how much you know the whole Devin Hunter and Nasir Peoples thing and oh yeah the defense wound up playing 65 snaps and Peoples played 63 of them and Hunter played two 
and people's graded out very well. Yeah, uh, he, just, just had a really good game. So, um, for the time being, it looks like that battle's over. Oh, it's over. Yeah. Uh, I, I, last Tuesday, Tuesday is when I wrote the game, most of the game preview, and it was finished by Tuesday afternoon. We're going to post it on Wednesday morning. So then I text Will and I text David and said, the preview was saved on WordPress. Go in and add your picks, and then we'll post it tomorrow morning. So then I go out Tuesday night after I've already written the preview, and I find out pretty much that that Nasir Peoples is going to start. So after you, you, I wrote you had a preview. conversation with someone, yes. you're saying? Yes. yes. Uh, so and this was just a gut feel on my part because we didn't know a lot about Nasir Peoples, but my gut feel was – that bode much better for Virginia Tech in coverage. Yeah. I was really, really worried about Devin Hunter. Uh, and I, but I, I almost changed my pick. Uh, but I, like, I had already written it, written the entire article, like 3,500 word game preview. And I'd already turned it over to you guys to do your part of it. So I, I didn't, didn't go, I would have had to rework one big section of the, of the preview. Yeah. You, you know, uh, Plus, I was kind of asked, like, yeah, don't say anything about that. <laughs> you know? So what you're saying is, yeah. based on learning that, you were going to switch to pick to, the tech, tech to win. Yes, you yes, felt that strong. Yes, uh, but I felt it's – not, it's not that I knew a lot about peoples. It's just I just didn't have any trust in Hunter. And I hate to say that because he's such a hardworking guy and a, such, su- such a team-first guy and, and everything like that. And, listen, it's, it's not going to work out for everybody. Uh, it mathematically can't work out for everybody. If it had worked out for Devin Hunter, then it couldn't work out for Nasir Peoples. If it works out for J.R. Walker, then it can't work out for Keonta Jenkins, right? Yeah. If it works out for Michael Vick, it can't work out for Dave Meyer, right? Yeah. So that, that's just the nature that's the way of it goes. Beast. Yeah. Well, and you had talked about Justin Fuente. He was being complimentary of individual players, but Devin Hunter wasn't really being complimented on his play. It was right. more about his mindset. Maybe a little hint. Yeah, there. and and we talked about that on the podcast leading up to the game, and yep. and, and I just felt I just felt like Tech they seemed to be searching really really hard to find a, a replacement there at the rover spot, and looks like they found one. And Nasir Peoples, I, I I thought you know moving a whip over to rover would improve coverage at the rover spot because theoretically a whip should be better in coverage than the rover because he's on the wide side of the field and you know that turned out to be the case but we also got a a bonus where peoples was really good against the run he was actually tech's high grader against the run yep i believe and huh. look it's not like this is some nobody you've probably forgotten about him because he tore his acl he hurt himself right he tore his yeah. acl missed last season as it turns out my gosh i think tech probably would have started him at free safety last year if he'd been healthy and yeah. that might have been worth a game or two. Um, but, you know, he was behind Shamari Connor the year before that. But this is a guy who picked Tech over Notre Dame out of high school. This is not some nobody. Yeah. Well, we have talked about the cornerbacks a little bit, but I want to highlight them. Dorian Strong and Jermaine Waller each had what I considered NFL-level plays. Waller ripping the ball away on that first interception. And what I thought was the most important play of the game, North Carolina got a little bit of momentum. Howell took a deep shot down the sideline, and Dorian Strong somehow made up some some ground and tipped the ball out of the air, saving a touchdown there. For a, a true fre- or a COVID freshman, really in his second year with the team, that was an unbelievable play to make. One of the biggest complaints you see on message boards and and just from fans in general is when a cornerback is defending a pass down the field and he doesn't turn around. Um, what most people don't understand is most guys can't do that. 
They they don't have the natural feel for when that ball is there and the exact moment to turn around for it. Because if you turn around at the wrong moment, it's going to go right by your head. You're never going to see it, and the guy's going to catch well, it. Well, and, and just turning your head, most guys lose a half a step. Right, right, by doing it, right, that. exactly. So that that's not your coach to do it if you feel comfortable doing it. Right. And they will teach you the technique and everything like that. But when in doubt, you don't want to do that, actually, right. because it can be a bad play as easily as it could be a good play. Uh, and I say that as a former cornerback. Uh, the fact that Dorian Strong can do that shows you how what a naturally talented guy he is. And, and Ryan Smith is obviously a really, really good coach. Get your donations in for Reach for Excellence campaign <laughs> so we can Ryan keep Ryan Smith. Smith. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's a good recruiter too. So Right. Well, it seemed like over the last two years against Carolina, those are the plays that kind of broke the Hokies' defense. With Sam Howell taking a deep shot over the top, I don't. I want to say I don't think he completed too many passes beyond twenty yards downfield. Nah. A lot of the plays no, that he was making were just any. quick slants. Yeah, that. that. Nick, can you look up Hal's uh, stats? Mm-hmm. So, so let's go over those. I did look up pass efficiency, and pass efficiency is a stat that's not really intended to be for individual games. It's kind of a whole season thing. But you know, Hal's efficiency was some he something like a ninety nine or a QBR of ninety nine, which. It's it's a different system than the pros. Yes. So like in college, your your top QB your 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 top efficiency passer in a season will be anywhere from one seventy to one ninety. So a ninety nine is not good. In the NFL, I want to say perfect is one hundred and fifty eight point three. Right. So and that they they run a different formula. Yes. For theirs. Um, and uh, Braxton Burmeister came in at a one forty four. So he just from an efficiency standpoint, he outplayed Hal. Um, and he he displayed a better feel for when to pull it down and run it and where to run. Now, granted, he didn't have Amari Barno chasing him all over the place yeah, either. Yeah. So he had two total plays over 20 yards. One was a touchdown, but that's a screen pass. That doesn't really right. count. And then in the fourth quarter, he had one for a first down, also to Josh Downs. Right. And yeah, that's kind of a crossing and, route that Downs and here's turned the thing: up. neither one of those passes, I don't think were thrown for over 20, 20 yards. yards. Like, yeah. they were caught, and then the receiver ran right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, for, for so, over 20 so, yards. So UNC's got to figure that out if they want to have a good season because, they, they at least as of Friday night, they've lost their downfield threat. Well, right? yeah, that's what Daz Newsom was. I, I just remember back to 2019, the first touchdown Carolina scored was just Newsom right over the top. Mm-hmm. I think that's the threat that made Sam Howell. We were talking about his – Deep passing stats, something eleven touchdowns and sixty passes last year. So something like that. It was. It, and, and who threw the two best passes of the game? Braxton Burmeister, the the deep one to Trey Turner, and then I thought the touchdown in the end zone really where he broke throw. the pocket and just zing. <laughs> that was yeah. a touchdown to two people. If Mitchell yeah. didn't get it, Robinson was going to well, get it too. And the, and the one to Tavion that was ruled out of bounds was a really good throw. Too. Yes, that's the one I'm forgetting. The yeah. one in the corner of the end zone. Yes. Yeah. Just just some some great throws from Burmeister and that that touchdown that Mitchell caught I'm not sure I agree with Andre Ware on that I think that uh it was thrown behind Tavion I, I watched it a couple of times and Tavion was twisted around well I can tell you what Burmeister said after the game I I, I got he to my chuckled. car I got to my car quick enough and then so from my car I drive home I, I drive I park across from Main Street so I don't have to deal with any traffic I get home real quick so I can listen to almost the whole post game uh and Burmeister said he saw Tavion and Mitchell, and he knew one of them was going to catch it if he just okay. put it up there. That, now that's what he said. 
Right. Uh, whether that's actually true or not. <laughs> Fuente said he thought he was throwing it to Robinson. That's what okay. Fuente said. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into the offense in a little bit here. Just want to remind you, if you're in the YouTube, make sure you drop a question or a comment. We'll get to those later in the show. If you have anything you want to hear from Will and Chris, just let us know down in the YouTube chat. We're going to take our first break here. When we come back, we are going to talk about the offense and how Braxton Burmeister played. We've already kind of touched on it a little bit here. We'll also talk about the running back trio and how the Hokies only scored 17 points, but could have been a lot more if there weren't a few missed opportunities. Stay with us here on episode 188 of the the Tech Sideline Podcast. We welcome you back on episode 188 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. I'm Jake Lyman. We have a packed house today in studio in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Will Stewart across the way. Chris Coleman to my left. Our new man in the chair is Nick Brown to my right off camera. He's helping us out with the YouTube comments, which you can drop below. Also, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Tech Sideline YouTube channel behind the scenes. Our best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, has returned and he is training Jack Brizendine. So we got a lot here and David Cunningham is covering the media availability of Justin Fuente today. So we'll get you updates on that as well. We are talking about Virginia Tech 17 to 10 win over North Carolina on Friday night. We went through the defense's performance. We're going to get into the offense here in a little bit, but I know, Will, we wanted to talk about there's a, a new way that they're doing tickets getting into the stadium. It's only the mobile phone now and it was a little bit weird on Friday night, maybe taking a little bit to adjust to it. <laughs> yeah, so if you're on the YouTube chat and you went to the game, chime in as to whether or not they scanned your ticket. And what and which gate you went in on. Yeah. Let us know. I, I went in the uh, southeast gate, mm. and honestly, I was so wired I didn't even pay attention. I walked through and held my phone up, and they were like, go. <laughs> but I uh, was told after the game, so, so my daughter, Annalise, is a sophomore, and this is the first football game she's been to. Um, she did not police her phone very well. It died on her. So uh, she did not have a ticket to get in and just went and just, they, Nick, they were apparently letting students just go Well, in. the students just busted down the gate. Like they just, like trampled, opened the gate and flooded in. So, yeah, so, so gate seven a, from Center Street, what, there it, was a lot of chaos over there, we'll say. You nice. know, at one Mom. point they were, they were coming back from a commercial on ESPN and they were kind of, showing some uh, pregame crowd shots. This was like at halftime or something like that, showing some pregame crowd shots. And they did briefly show that wave coming out of the woods uh, from the center street direction. I didn't get my ticket scanned. I went in the, the middle section uh, in the east stands, like right on the 50-yard line in yeah. the woods. And I skipped the southeast line because it looks so long. That's what I do for almost every game. Yeah. And I went to the other one because it, it's it was a lot shorter. And at first, I stood in line and didn't move too much for about a minute or two. And all of a sudden, the line started moving, and I get all the way to the front, and they just weren't checking tickets at all. Um, and that could be for a number of reasons. You know, like everything else in the world right now, I'm sure they're understaffed. Right. It's hard to get people to work for a variety of reasons. So in some cases, you're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel just to find somebody to get in there. It's a whole new system. It's a whole new system. And, you know, I was at PK's after the game, and uh, and there was a woman in there complaining about how she had gone to some other bar earlier in the day, and the service was horrible. And I was like, yeah, because every single person there is new. And they, <laughs> they've never poured a beer in a game day crowd before, you know? Uh, and it's, it's going to be... It's going to be like that in the service industry. It's going to be like that in a lot of things these days. Yes. So, uh, uh, 
So yeah, that's funny. If if you wanted to go to the game but you didn't want to buy a ticket, well, yeah, as it turned out, you didn't have. <laughs> Maybe to. just try and flood in through Center Street. <laughs> yeah, that might try so, your luck next week. You never know. <laughs> so you know they're scrambling over there at Virginia Tech because they got to fix that stuff because the word can't get out that you can just roll up to a game. <laughs> I, I sorry, in, we cut a sorry, spill we, the beans. Well, it's out now, isn't it? <laughs> I, I did get my ticket scanned. I went through gate six, but it was the same thing as Chris, where everybody was just standing there. No one was going in, and then all of a sudden, just a big wave goes through. I'm wondering if maybe they had to stop it because people were trying to just bust their way through the gate. But uh, it is interesting to see because uh, tailgating all day, especially for a six o'clock game, what if your phone dies? Like, like you said, yeah. your daughter. So that that is something interesting to look at. I actually specifically turned my phone off for about 45 minutes when I was tailgating, like early afternoon. I went on sure. a scavenger hunt to find my pocket juice charger, portable charger, and I made sure I had that thing, and I forgot to use it, but that wound up being okay. I think I was at 12% when I got into the stadium, so I just oh, I just barely, barely made it. Made but it. Well, the Hokies offense got the crowd going early as soon as everybody did get in there, scoring a touchdown on their first drive, only one of two, but Braxton Burmeister and really the entire offensive game plan, it seemed very sharp early on, and that allowed the Hokies to get off to the hot start. Yeah, I think uh, confidence breeds confidence. You know, when you're a defensive player and you sit there and you watch your offense go down the field and score on the first drive, I think that really gets you into the game. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, you know, Tech executed very well early. Obviously, they 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 could have they had their opportunities. They could have won that game by more points. And you know, you can point to execution, and you can point to some bad luck. That uh, obviously, you know, there was a fumble. There was a missed short field goal. There were a couple of UNC fumbles. One of which bounced out of bounds. And the other which bounced right back to Sam Howell. Yeah. And Tech could have recovered those deep in UNC territory. Uh, I posted a picture on Twitter yesterday and in our article of Jalen Stroman going up for a punt block. Now, I've never seen a punny nutmeg before, but it, it he had his hands like that, and it, the ball literally looks like they, it had just gone right through his arms. I, and, I have and a now, theory that the ball just kind of rotated through his arms in a weird way. That you know, it, 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 it you'd have to go back and watch it. I don't know if they showed a close enough. That was the shortest punt of the day, and it looked weird. So maybe he might have nicked, nicked it. Maybe nicked him. who knows? Well, that was definitely uh, short. Cause I remember everybody but, cheered after that. But you know, I'm glad I posted the picture on Twitter because now, I mean, I, I don't know. So it was a couple of the coaches like liked it or retweeted it or whatever. You can actually use that photo to teach him, like. Yeah, thumb, like or elbows straight. Like he had his arms like that, and his thumbs weren't quite touching. You do that number, and you things, block man. it. It's yeah. literally a game of inches. Uh, now back to the offense. Uh, yeah, so they weren't as effective in the second half. Obviously, um, we were, we were worried going in about the matchups with the UNC corners and the Tech receivers, uh, and you know Fuente alluded to that. Uh, in his press conference last week about how physical UNC's corners are, and it was difficult to get off the line of scrimmage against them. And, and you saw that in this game. Yeah. Uh, Burmeister graded out fantastically on PFF. Like even his passing grade of it was like an 87 or something he like that. He was pushing a 90 on PFF. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the decision-making, which, I mean, so he, th- he, made, he made one bad throw, and then I, I guess, you know, you can say the interception was a bad decision. Um, but – which so if he got a negative grade for those two plays, that shows you how well he played on all the others. The rest of it, so yeah. he was making the right decisions, and and you could actually see him in the pocket going through his reads. Now the problem is nobody was getting open. 
which is the concern about this group of wide receivers. Now, that being said, I don't know that they'll have as difficult a matchup issue for the rest of the way as they as they did with UNC's corners, who were really, really physical. You know, particularly t- Tony Grimes is really good. And, uh, you know, one thing I did like, now this was the Burmeister interception, and that was came right off a turnover, right? Right. Ta- ca- but got the ball around. There was a flurry of turnovers around in there, and I'm having trouble – you know, remembering which ones came first. But Tech had great field position. They were winning. And I'm sitting there thinking, go for the throat, go for that wheel route that you like to run. Sure enough, they roll out there and they roll Burmeister to the right and they try that wheel route down the left sideline, the exact play that I wanted them to run. Well, maybe that was the exact play UNC was expecting because they blitzed exactly where Burmeister was rolling to. And then they 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 locked down the wheel route guy. Yeah, and, they uh, did. and that was the same wheel route that worked really well in the first position. First with, right, yeah. right, right. Uh, so, um, well, it was slightly different. The was one, it, the, one the one with Burmeister, there was no rollout. Um, You're right. Or, or the one that worked in the first quarter was no rollout to the right. Yeah. This was one of those specialty. Uh, smoke and mirrors plays. Right, get everybody did. moving in one yeah. direction. And right, right. So, so UNC had them well scouted. Uh, as you would expect for, from game one. I mean, if you've got a competent staff. Uh, so, I, I, like, so Tech went for the throat there. There's been complaining in the past about how sometimes maybe Tech doesn't go for the throat. Uh, but they went for the throat on that play. It just didn't work. Yeah. Uh, but so you know, I, I, there's something. I, I do think UNC's run defense is better this year, I, and I think their run defense is better because their cornerback play is, is good. Like you, their safeties don't have to worry about helping their cornerbacks very much. Um, that should make them a better defense this year. Um, so I, I don't know what we can take. We can take certain things out of it, of course, but uh, you can't make overarching, far-reaching judgments about one position group in this game because there's going to be different challenges for them. Like it's a great Tech defensive performance, but there will be bigger challenges for the Tech defense this year when they face a team that likes to run the ball downhill instead of this finesse sideline to sideline okay. stuff. So, uh, so, but 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 on the whole, you know, I, I thought the game plan was sound and everything like that. So uh, I looked at the stats after the game, and I thought uh, uh, the if you look at the tailback stats, um, nobody really rolled up very many yards per carry or anything like that. But then you go and watch the game, and you see a lot of nice individual plays. It's like the stats don't match what I observe with my eyes. Mm-hmm. And in particular, I, I thought they used Raheem Blackshear really well in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we've been waiting for. And, and so now it's on film, and it's something for defense coordinators to worry that, about. That third down pass to uh, to Blackshear. Uh, God, I think it was third and 11. Yeah. And Tech ended up going down the field and scoring a touchdown. They had two third down conversions on that drive. I think it was the pass to Blackshear and then the touchdown pass to Mitchell. I think – was that on the same drive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure that was a check down by Burmeister. Yes, it was. It was. I remember and that. That was like his third read or something like that. And he had three UNC guys converging right. on him, and he just found a way to get past the three and of them. That is. That's the guy you saw on film, right? That's the guy. Well, right. Well, that's the. Uh, that's why Burmeister is the quarterback, and that's why he was always going to be the quarterback this year. Like Hooker was never that guy who could just go down his reads and check down to the running back and yeah. things like that. Uh, Burmeister is a more adva- mentally advanced quarterback, and he's yeah. capable of doing that. And 
and I think that that's another reason where, why Black's, Blackshear wasn't as productive last year is you know, Hooker was the quarterback almost all year, and he's and Blackshear is a big-time receiving threat as a running back, but if you don't have a quarterback who can get through his progressions down to the running back, then it doesn't matter what type of back you have right. out there. And I think that was something you noticed with Burmeister is that he was very efficient. He was finding the right receiver on most plays, but he also was able to open up in the vertical passing game. He found Trey Turner down the sideline, yeah. almost had Robinson for a touchdown as well. That could really open things up as well. Yeah, the, you know, I, I said in the two practices we got to watch this this uh, fall that, and even the one I think back in the spring. Or did we see one in the spring? I don't remember. But one we of, did. We got we, we did. got to hang okay. around for like an hour. Anytime I've seen him since last season, he's pushed the ball down the field really well, accurately. And it, and I know people were concerned about his arm strength. Uh, it's arms, good enough. It, it doesn't look to be. An, I mean, that throw to t- to Turner down the sideline was was really good. And yeah. I thought just watching him in person before the season that it looked good. I mean, and you got to re- remember that last year, I mean, he lost like 12 or 15 pounds due to COVID right before the season started. And he got his foot stepped on. Right, right. So, right. so, so the, so the, the, the Braxton Burmeister you saw last season was not as physically capable as, as a 100% Braxton Burmeister. Yeah. So the only nit that I could pick and, I, and I, when I rewatched the game, I didn't really take notes on this. I, I thought that he was a little reluctant to keep the ball in the read option game. Not the tech ran a lot of read option, but there were a few instances where I thought, Oh man, you should have kept that one. I think he wound up with nine carries or something like that. One of them was a sack, um, but a lot of them were scrambles. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The other thing he did was he got out of bounds and he got down on the ground. He slid one time. I'm okay with all of that. The the, (laughs) if 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 he keeps the ball a little, just stay healthy because you know he he graded out well, played a good game, so stay upright. And it is fair to say that we don't know. Some plays they look like read options and they're handoffs and they're not, all the yeah, way. Like right. if you remember the Logan Thomas fourth and twenty against Miami to win the game, mm-hmm. it looked like a read option because he faked the handoff to David Wilson. But the play call was for him to run it the entire time. That was just a straight up fake. Yeah, right. exactly. Well, looking at that trio of running backs, all three were listed as starters heading into the game. I think we saw a little more of Holston and Blackshear, and that could have been because Keyshawn <laughs> King fumbled yeah. uh, in the red zone. But it seemed like it really was at the beginning a trio of guys who are all going to get carries instead of maybe just the coach speak putting three guys as the starter yeah. on the depth chart. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I just what it looked like. I just think going forward, it just looks like Holston and Blackshear to me. You know, um, So, Nick, can you do me a favor and look up look up the rushing stats Got for right Turner, Robinson. I mean, the jet sweep was worth It was old, man. <laughs> and Trey the, had, the, he had the one carry for 12 yards, and Robinson had two for 25. Right. Yeah. And yeah. – no bigger one than Trey's on the last drive of the game. Yeah. UNC had three timeouts left. So Tech needed to pick up a first down or else they were going to have to punt it back to UNC. Right. And Howell could have, for all for all we know, could have had a Hail Mary and had his, uh, you know, Heisman Matt Ryan moment, moment in the <laughs> stadium, you know. Uh, but so so when Trey picked, picked it up on – we've got some pictures of, of Justin Fuente really celebrating – on the, on the sideline was it that play probably i, yeah, I can look timing. at you can look in the sequence of pitchers and it's at night at this point and, yeah. and and i think it i think he is celebrating that the that play because it iced the game that meant at that point you know tech wasn't gonna have to punt as long as tech didn't fumble a snap they, they had won the game 
So the uh, the uh, TV guys have been prepped because Jason Benetti, is that his last name? Yes, Benetti. He said at one point that Virginia Tech was fifth in the country in, in average yards per jet sweep. So, <laughs> so they have that been prepped. That is pretty impressive, yeah. <laughs> he, well, J- Jason Benetti and Bill Roth are good friends. I wonder if maybe he uh, prepped him on that. Imagine the fifth in the country in average yards <laughs> per jet sweep. Yep. There's a lot of Virginia Tech fans that would not guess that. Well, I, anyway. I think the – I think the whole jet sweep debate is being put to bed unless you're just truly ignorant and bullheaded about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway. And some people are. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Well, and they also yeah. had that one play to Trey where it'd count as a pass where Burmeister kind of flipped it to him when he was coming across him. Right. Yeah. So I guess you could consider that a jet sweep. I hate that those consider passes. Was it in front of him? Yeah. yeah it was yeah. in front so of him. He kind of like cross. So he just jet motion. Like this. Yeah. And that went for about the Tom Brady yards. pass. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, don't, I don't. That one makes me nervous. You know. There's a lot that can go wrong on that play. <laughs> Why not just hand it off? I know. You're right there. <laughs> well, looking at the receiving game, only three players had more than one catch. Tavion Robinson had one catch for two yards. Besides that, it was Blackshear, Mitchell, Turner. We talked about this a little bit last week, how last year it seemed like the Hokies receivers, it was really just three guys who were making mm-hmm. catches. I know it's only one game and Tony Grimes is out there, a good UNC secondary, but does that give you a little bit of concern? No. Well, well, the game plan was to control the ball by running. Right. It was a great strategy. I mean, and you just watched the way Tech approached each individual offensive play. It was like high school. Burmeister would go to the sideline, talk to Fuente, get the play call, slowly jog back to the huddle, take his time. I mean, they'd snap it with like five seconds left on the play clock. I, I think Tech, Tech had, gosh, they only had three possessions in the first half. The fourth one was running out the clock, basically. R- right. Um, they but, burning but, some serious clock. Into the first quarter, the time of possession was 1230 to 230. And wow. I knew exactly what my article was going to be about by yeah. the end of the first quarter. I texted you. I was like, wow, what a game. This Clemson game plan all over again, except, yeah. you know, the quarterback actually remembered it this time. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, uh, so... I was very pleased with that aspect of it. Um, as far as the receivers go, I, I think I said last week that, you know, Tech's going to play those freshman receivers this year, but I didn't necessarily expect it to be in the first game. Um, we've seen in the past when Tech has a big opening game, they don't necessarily throw their true freshman right into the fire. Like, remember how much Dax Holyfield played as a true freshman in 2018? Well, he didn't play a single down on defense against Florida State that year in the season opener. So he was over on the sidelines dancing. He was. Exactly. He played, right. he played some special teams. Dwayne Lofton played one snap the other night, and Jalen Jones didn't play any. By the they, way, let, let me get this out there also. Uh, did you notice the rotation with Caden Moore and Johnny Jordan? Uh, yeah, uh, there's 21 snaps for Johnny Jordan. Oh, and, uh, and Tyrell Smith got to play. I think it was like 18 cool. snaps at right tackle, wow. 13. Well, something Johnny like. Jordan played a lot early. Like uh, I, I missed who started, and Tech's stats are kind of wonky. I think they have a new stats package, and and they list. I, I couldn't quite sort through it, but I did notice that like on the second and third possession, I think it was all Jordan. So he get, if he got a lot of snaps, I think most of it happened early. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think they're going to gradually work those receivers in. Yeah. Uh, that, that that that's. You know, you don't want to – that would have been a tough matchup for those guys in their first college game. Yeah. And I'm not talking about, like, the, the bigness of the occasion, and, and the, although that is part of it, but that specific matchup with, with, with UNC's wide uh, defensive backs would have been difficult for them. Yeah. Well, and we talk about how they wanted to play 
control the possession, so only scoring 17 points, but that was enough because UNC didn't get a lot of possessions and the defense played so well. But you think about those missed opportunities, and I want to go back to this, that the fumble in the red zone maybe takes seven points off the board. Right. You get the touchdown from Robinson taken off the board and then miss a field goal. That could have been seven more. There was a question a few podcasts ago, does Tech have to play a perfect game to beat North Carolina? That was far from a perfect game, and Tech was still able to win. Yeah, um, they played almost a perfect game on one side. Of yes, exactly. <laughs> I was, I was going to say it was far from a perfect game on special teams and offense, but it was a really good game, except for the one, yeah. you know, the, the tunnel yeah. screen. Now, Tech's special teams game plan, they didn't want UNC to return any punts. Um so they sent a lot of guys down in coverage. Uh, and UNC almost blocked a punt because of that. So there's always risk-reward and everything. But I, I thought on both sides, for both teams, that the punt rush was better than I've seen in a college game in a long time. Well, a well I, I, th- I think both teams had a similar strategy of getting more guys yeah. down in coverage. So if you, if you send a couple guys, more guys down in coverage, that's two fewer guys blocking. Yep. So you've got de- to depend on the snap being perfect, and the punter getting it off in time and everything like that. So you're it's kind of a dangerous game, but neither team wanted to lose that game on a punt return. Obviously, Tavian Robbins is very dangerous. Josh Downs is very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, so, but but generally, to, you know, Tech's game plan was to keep Sam Howell on the sideline, and when he was actually on the field, make him have to drive the length of the field. Don't let Josh Downs break one and give Sam Howell a short field. Yeah. Well, and that was successful. They didn't have – I want to say North Carolina never started a possession in plus territory. That's correct. Their, their, the best starting field position of the game was their own 39-yard line. And that was after the second – after the Burmeister interception, I think. I probably, probably yeah. so. I believe – Burmeister threw the pick, and then immediately after, I want to say that was the Hollyfield pick. That's probably right. Yeah. It could have been flip-flopped, but they, they were back-to-back plays. I know yeah. that for so, sure. So that's that's the second time Dax has been the beneficiary of a tip ball, <laughs> right? Remember he the said, Wake Forest? He, he said on the – yes. He said on the radio after the game that where Pollard tipped it and he was looking up at the ball, he was looking directly into the lights. He couldn't really see the ball. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Which is crazy to think about that he actually came down with it when he couldn't see it. (laughs) (laughs) And then didn't couldn't see it and ran to the wrong (laughs) sideline. Well, all three of those interceptions were pretty close. I mean, you look at Waller, that one could have gone either way. Hollyfield, if he couldn't see it, still found a way to catch it. And then the Chamari Connor one, that one still when you watch it live, it doesn't look like he caught it. But then when you see that close up replay, He's got his hand. I, he, I thought he had his, his four, uh, forearm under it. Is is what I thought when I saw it live. But I thought the Waller inter, the Waller interception. You know, if, if an offensive and defensive player kind of have it evenly, they're going to give it to the offensive guy. Yes. But there was a moment where he he pulled it away and twisted over and had full possession of it while they were on the ground, and then it became a wrestling match again. And I right. think that's what the officials saw was that moment where he had it. Yeah. 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 Well, definitely. yeah, they were both kind of opened up right there, and the official was standing right on top of yeah. them. So, yeah. and in the end, you know, it's football. Like, and if if it's if there's any question at all, the official's going to say, "Okay, that guy was just more physical than you." It's true. Well, it was a big win for the Hokies on Friday night to open up the season, and I know we don't want to look ahead, and I'm right. not going to right. really, but. You look just at this past weekend, it was not a good weekend for the ACC Coastal. Outside of maybe Pitt had a big win, Duke lost to Charlotte, 
Georgia Tech was upset at home by Northern Illinois. If you can call that an upset. I'm not sure I do. Well, they paid a million dollars to get beat well, by Georgia, Northern ah, Illinois. Yeah, well. Georgia Tech lost their starting quarterback. Yes. Uh, Sims was on the sidelines. Mm. I thought the backup played finally got in gear and played okay. They it, they probably should have won the game. It came down to a crazy two-point conversion, I believe, at the very did, end. Yeah. They barely they barely were able to convert. Miami lost by 30 to Alabama, which kind of is anybody here surprised? No, I I actually thought they'd lose by 40. So (laughs) early on, I think if Alabama hadn't taken their foot off the pedal, they might have. Well, and here's the thing, man. Like Alabama's so far ahead of everybody is what it looks like to me. Miami actually might be the 13th best team in the country. (laughs) I mean, that's that's just there's no parity in college football these days. Well, Alabama, they're going to have three starting quarterbacks from the last four years when NFL games open up this week and Bryce Young look he's now the favorite for the Heisman so uh, they just keep on rolling new players in there Uh, but now the Hokies do they have the tiebreaker against North Carolina too which again getting ahead of ourselves but looking at the ACC Coastal it looks again like it is almost every year wide open for anybody to take it I think that Virginia Tech beating North Carolina in week one really does it's it's always wide open, but it really makes it more wide open. Right no, now, so now Pitt's perking up. Right, and mm-hmm. and even UVA's probably perking up, going, oh, what's going on yeah, here? Right, you know? and now you know Tech has the tiebreaker <laughs> over UNC now. Yeah, so um, so even if Tech struggles with Pitt or something like that later, or or BC or whatever, they've still got that tiebreaker over UNC. Well, it's going to be interesting because the next four games for the Hokies all non-conference, so you're not going to know for another month or so whether this win is actually going to propel the Hokies into coastal into the coastal conversation. But it it looks good early on for the Hokies, considering that North Carolina, on paper, probably their toughest ACC matchup on their schedule this year. Yeah, um, you know, I guess both teams still have to play Miami, and I don't know, you know, maybe Miami is a fraud it's hard to say when you play alabama i don't know why teams still play alabama why do acc teams keep why, why would you do that, that the best case scenario is is all your key players actually walk off the field under their own power at the end of the game I mean, look what happened to florida state a few years ago yeah, yeah there's just no point in playing that game um you're just gonna hurt yourself more you're more likely to hurt yourself long term than you are Help yourself. Long and there's term. ten years of evidence here, at least. <laughs> Stop it. Stop saying yes to that game. Aren't they supposed to play Duke, or was that last year or something? They played Duke last year. Oh my that, gosh. Yeah. That one. That one didn't go well for the Blue Devils. I want to say. <laughs> no, Not even looking at no, the stats. No, nothing's going well for the Blue Devils these days. And I want to say Alabama plays Mercer next week. So. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so Tech's got uh, Middle Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, then West, then Virginia, West Virginia, then Richmond, then Notre Dame, then a bye, then Notre Dame. Yeah. Oh, that's right, the bye. So double buy basically. We hope <laughs> it's also going to be very strange looking at this schedule. Six of the first seven home games are in the first eight weeks of the season, yes. including the bye week. So yeah. if the Hokies are going to start to make a run for this thing, they've got to keep the momentum going early on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's odd a schedule. Like when we had our breakouts with Fuente down in, in in Charlotte, he was like. Have any of you guys ever seen a schedule like this? And you know, all the media guys were sitting there. Even David Teal, who's 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 a veteran, he's seen every kind of schedule there is to be seen. Said never seen a schedule like that ever for anybody. Uh, uh, where I, the home I, games are so top heavy. I think I remember remember one in the other direction. I think the '95 season was where they started with two games at home and then went on the road for yeah. what felt like two months. Yeah. 
and won them all. <laughs> yeah. I believe looking at the schedule, the only home game in the final month of the season is Duke. I Duke. think it's Duke. Duke, and, yeah. and, and I know I'm going to go ahead and write that one down as a win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they go to UVA, which, you know, isn't 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 a terrible environment to go to. It yeah. might be a home game, a mini home game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, uh, if, and particularly if Tech's having a good season, there'll right. be even more uh, Tech fans there. Than Especially if, like, I don't want to get ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, all right. So, what if that game was you win it, you win the Coastal? Yeah. If What, what if that is a big Like two big years game? ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, man. Normally, I don't want any part of playing Clemson, but I'll play Clemson this year. And I'm not saying Tech would win the game, but they can't run the ball. He went there. No, they can't run the ball. Well, Clemson not against did not, Georgia. It, Georgia. Well, no, they didn't. They didn't run it well last year either. Hmm. Even I, with ATN, they didn't run it well. well okay. Like as as a team, I mean, Tech shut them down last year, and Tech couldn't even practice their defensive scheme. I saw a, so. a crazy uh, stat from that Georgia Clemson game. Half of Clemson's plays were for no gain or for a loss. Yeah, yeah. I mean, half and, of and their plays. Georgia's stacked. Don't get me wrong, but these issues for Clemson go back to last year as far as running the ball. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying Tech would score on Clemson either. I don't think it would be a very exciting game. No, but <laughs> it really never is in that ACC championship game. Yeah. But it does seem like Clemson is not quite at that level they were the last Do- few years. Doesn't quite look. They they, they certainly haven't. They they don't have a. They don't have a game breaker at running back. I think that that's that's for certain. And, and Uyangale is good. He's a great young quarterback, but he's also not Trevor Lawrence, which was pretty apparent on Saturday night against Georgia yeah. as well. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes from here. It'll be very. It, it, it'll be interesting. This win against North Carolina does seem to open things up a little bit more for the Hokies in terms of that coastal scenario. So we've got a few weeks of non-conference games to look at before we can start kind of putting those pieces together for the ACC coastal. I think now might be a good time to check on our YouTube questions. So we've got Nick Brown also over here. also to check on David Cunningham's Twitter feed. Yes, Fuente was supposed to. He start has not tweeted out yet. Oh. Wow. I wonder if Fuente's late. Yeah, I believe. David Cunningham may have sent a text, so he did. David Cunningham has an update on the depth chart. Yes. The only uh, change is a boundary safety. An or between Peoples and Hunter. Right. Huh. So, But Peoples is listed up top. Oh, so, look, I mean, unless there was some kind of injury to Hunter that we don't know about, he, still got, he was on the field for two snaps, so I assume he's healthy. That's right. Then I, I just think they're – I think they're, they're – I think – they're trying to keep Hunter mentally engaged. Yeah. It can be difficult if you're a highly ranked recruit and you get into your last year and it looks like you're going to start at the beginning of the preseason and then you don't. And then your replacement plays really well. Right. It can be difficult to stay mentally engaged. Yeah. So I think they're trying to keep him mentally engaged. Uh, I, I just can't see any way after the other night that they would take Peoples off the field. I, I, I wouldn't. I know. I mean, if All you right. played 63 snaps, you would assume probably. <laughs> so, Nick, remember – Remember to mention who's asking the question. Yep. All right. All right. From Charles Mapp, first one. Do you guys think Cornelson was too conservative in the second half? No, like I said, they when they – a lot of times people mistake, like, when a play works, a guy's aggressive, and when it doesn't work, yeah. the, the, they were conservative. I, I mean, they threw to Blackshear on third down in a play that worked in the first half, and Burmeister overthrew him. They went for that. They went for the throat on the wheel route. They they would tried to put that game away on one play, yeah. and it didn't work. But but no, I don't. I, I wouldn't and say then, that. And then if it's just one of those things where no, I'm not saying he was being super aggressive. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But it, but it was one of those things where 
you know, they were doing well. They just picked up a first down, except uh, uh, Brock Hoffman. I don't even remember the penalty. It was uh, uh-uh. it was a hold or something like that. I don't recall. Oh, that, I think that, I think it was. It was a hold. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and that backed him One up until that few drug. penalties. Right. I think they had two. Yeah. Um, yep. And then there was Burmeister, you know, throwing the interception. Again, there weren't a ton of possessions in this game. So if you just make a couple of mistakes that kill drives, right. it things look worse than they are. And, that, and that's the nature of, of the Tech game plan. Tech wanted to shorten that game and make it a low possession game. Uh, so, yeah, w- when you do that, one little mistake – can make things seem a lot worse in New York. You just don't have the total amount of number of plays to make up for it. Probably only the only play call I thought was odd was after they threw the fade route to Tavion and he barely stepped on the sideline. That kind of they went right back to it through the d- exact same thing. To Turner, Turner time. the very yeah. next play. Yeah, and and when you do that, when you throw against UNC's outside outside corners, you're kind of, you're throwing at their strength. Yeah. So that that so the. Uh, when they did it the previous play to Tavion, they were going against a nickel, not right. an outside corner. So that one didn't surprise me. It did surprise me that they did that on on the third down play. Though. Yeah. All right, so kind of following off of that one, Mitchell Kiltz asked, do they open up the playbook against West Virginia or Middle Tennessee uh, to show off more plays or stay as conservative? So I, I, would, I, would, I would actually ask the question this way. Um, what do you think you'll see different from the offense mm-hmm. as opposed to will they open it up? Mm-hmm. Um, I think they'll play more freshmen on yes. offense at, this week against Middle Tennessee. At wide receiver. That's not necessarily conducive to opening the offense up right. when you're about to you know, play more younger guys. I think you would assume the game plan against Middle Tennessee State isn't going to be keeping Bailey Hockman off the field. I think you're, you're going to see – you might <laughs> I, see them I might enjoy up. Bailey Hockman being on the field if he plays like he did we, last year. Did last year. Um, who, do, who did we not see at running back? Um, Marco Lee. Yeah. Are you going to see Marco Lee or are you going to see Taj Gary? I can't remember the guys that are all at that second If you're, you're going to see one of those two guys, it would be Marco Lee. Yeah, I, I, I would enjoy seeing that. So I, I think – if I had to answer that question, I would say it'll be more personnel. You'll see different personnel. Yeah. And maybe they'll try Nick Gallup out in the passing game more, or even Drake Dulius. All right. Sam Sweeney asks, what areas do you see Virginia Tech needing to have the biggest improvements from week one to week two? Uh, probably the same thing I've said all year. Offensively, there's got to be somebody who can generate big plays out there in chunk yardage. Yeah. Um, You've just got to – you can't – I mean, Tech scored 17 points the other night, and that's what's going to happen if you can't get some 40, 50-yard gains and things like that. So so somebody's going to have to do that. Uh, One thing that was very good that I'd like to stay good was the tackling. It was excellent. It was. Now, if you pull up the preliminary PFF grades, there's a big red, like, 27 or 29 out of 100 next to Dax's name for, for tackling uh, in the tackling. What was it for tackling? Yeah. Not not run defense, but tackling. tackling yeah, yeah. His run defense may have been good. I didn't notice Dax really being out of position. And I don't I don't know how you make that call that he didn't tackle well because most of – he was in a lot of scrums. I noticed he was in right. big, big piles of people. So it um, – I, I don't know if, how they grade it, whether it's, it's – I'm sure part of it is – Successful tackles, missed tackles, some of his technique. Yeah, uh, they, they try to grade it like a coach would grade it. I think. Gosh, it's it's hard to pick nits on defense and and over on offense. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, w- I would say my only concern defensively is still the unknown. Uh, you know, whether the defensive front 
is going to be big enough and strong enough to hold up if, you know, somebody who runs a physical downhill running game, you know, when one of those teams comes up on the schedule. Yep, yep. And that, that – We'll, we'll find out. That'll be a lot of that'll be aimed at Dax. You know, if if you run against a team like that, he's right. going to have to step up. Right. All right. We'll go with one last question, uh, kind of previewing the Middle Tennessee game. Uh, PBA Anderson, are we concerned about losing this game after coming off of an emotional high? Well, I mean, you're always concerned about the trap game. Uh, I don't think you know Middle Tennessee generally plays a couple of Power Five teams every year. I don't think they've beaten one since 2017, and generally speaking, they lose by 20 or 30. Historically, they're a solid program. Uh, had a losing record the last two years. They only ran for 89 yards and averaged 2.6 yards per carry against Monmouth this past week. Uh, their quarterback is Bailey Hockman. He had a good game against Monmouth, but last year when he started for NC State against Virginia Tech, he was 7 of 16 for 82 yards and two interceptions. Uh, just did, They don't appear to be able to, to do that against – just a mediocre tech performance, I think, will we'll win the game. But, but I mean, I don't you – know, the, the line is 20. I don't know if I'll pick tech, tech to cover. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I might. I haven't, I haven't done my full re- research on Middle Tennessee. I've only looked at parts of their offense so far. I don't know anything about their defense. Uh, as long as Tech doesn't look terrible, like, I'm not going to worry about this game forever but, for, for, at all because, like, like you said, it is a trap game. Yeah. Well, when it, it stuck between North Carolina and West Virginia, which you know, is two of the three biggest rivalries for the program. Yeah, it's 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 a larger issue of can you get more consistent effort from week to week, and um, every college coach faces that that issue, except apparently Nick Saban. <laughs> um, and th- that's because, and he faces it because if his five star doesn't play hard, he gets replaced he gets by another benched. five star. Yeah, the, the the motivation yeah. comes from within, just from being part of that program, you know. So. Uh, and, and, and I think we talked about this in, in, in the last podcast. If, if there's one thing, okay, okay, that was a really good performance Friday night, but if there's one thing, a couple of things you want to see different about the program is more consistent effort, the, the toughness that the defense showed. Keep bringing that every week mm-hmm. because that's been missing, horribly missing at times in, in recent seasons. So bring the toughness. I don't expect the intensity to be the same. I mean, come on. It's just not. You know, yeah. fr- Friday night yeah. was really special. Yeah. Um, but but the toughness and and try to bring the focus and uh, just, just get more. And, and then at the end of the season, let's keep all the guys who are getting a lot of playing time on the team and let have nobody go into the portal. Those are, those are the two <laughs> long plays that we're talking about here because in, in, a, in microcosm, Friday night was great. It was a great start. I, I hope some of the younger guys, you know, can get time. And I'm sure we'll we'll see some of Dwayne Lofton, Jalen Jones. Uh, but, you know, even on defense, you know, you'd like to see, you know, Tech to be in, up by enough points where, you know, a Dean Ferguson can get in there and work at Mike because he's going to be the heir apparent at, at that position. Um, just some, some things like that. Uh, you know, guys like Cole Nelson – Will Panay at defensive end, like you'd like to be able to work them a little bit yeah, and get them yep. some experience. Yeah, really, really see some of those young rangy guys out there on the on the perimeter. Well, we're going to do a full deep dive into Middle Tennessee State later on this week in episode 189 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. That about does it, I believe, for this episode. Looking back, at so North let's Carolina. talk about one more thing. Um, th- there were a couple of uh, incidences in the stands, <laughs> um, which. <laughs> Which, you know, if you're not on Twitter and you're not on Instagram, you missed them. Um, there was one where 
a, a UNC fan, a, a guy, a dad, everybody's calling him a dad, um, had a little bit of gray hair. He went up like four rows of seats and went after a Virginia Tech student. The entire student section. And then, yeah, right. Not very smart on his part because he just got engulfed when he went up there. And he, he got one punch in. Yeah, yo, he got one punch in. Yeah, and that's the only I've thing. I've seen he different got angles, though, and he the didn't only, land. Luther Maddie called the, out the, the only students thing he got in not. that night is jail. That's, I'm sure that's yeah. the only, yeah. Uh, now, I don't know what got said to that guy. I don't even want to know. Or what happened or, <laughs> yeah. or what, you know. Yeah. So it's interesting because I saw one angle of it on Twitter, but I did discover an Instagram account. I think it's called Burnt Cup VT. They're very good follow. They must have had four or five angles of that. <laughs> of, Full uh, production. Right, you know, <laughs> and they just strung them all together in, in one Instagram post. And then there was another one of a of a female again more mature physically not necessarily mentally UNC fan just she was just going off on on just foul mouth blah 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 and and an EMT came over and basically told her to shut the hell up <laughs> and at one point he he yelled at her you're a grown up act you're an adult act like one and so in the Instagram feed, everybody's like, hey, that's my sweet mate. And they're tagging the guy. You know? so <laughs> I think he might even be a, a Virginia Tech student who was serving as an EMT in the in the stadium. But, um, wow, uh, you know, if you're going to wear that baby blue in the Lane Stadium, um, I'm not going to make excuses and I'm not going to forgive inappropriate behavior like, like throwing things and stuff like that. But, you know, you got to – there's a lot, a lot of Carolina fans that I'm sure. I, I mean this to be not. Tread lightly. I, don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful, <laughs> but it is kind of disrespectful. But it's also true. There's a lot of Carolina fans that don't know anything about football, and they just look at recruiting rankings and they say, "Oh, we're going to beat Virginia Tech by 30 because our class two years ago ranked eighth, and theirs ranked 73rd or whatever." I saw yeah. five Michael Jordan jerseys in the stands last yeah, on right. Friday, I look and we've got to seeing all of these fans in our YouTube comments later on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you go back and look at the last podcast, there were some UNC fans. One of them actually said. I'm going to watch the next podcast to see what the little man in the orange shirt has to say. <laughs> and I'm like, which little man are you talking about? You know? He's not that little. <laughs> they, I believe somebody called all of us haters, even though all of you picked North Carolina, which... Well, we but, were UNC haters or something like UNC fan haters. The one question about... Oh, I don't <laughs> deny that. How bad, how bad do you want to beat North Carolina? And that answer went on for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, but anyway, I did. I did want to go over that. That was um, so. It just, just if you're in the stands, behave yourself because you're going to wind up not on one video, but apparently five to ten. Well, I think the key is if you're at home, everybody should behave themselves and act mature in a stadium. But if you're wearing the opposing team's colors, the consequences may be a little bit worse uh, if you decide to do something. Particularly like that. if you throw the first punch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you're by yourself. Yeah. That wasn't smart. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Hey, well, just wanted to get that good, in there. Good transition. Chris, what's coming up on techsideline.com? <laughs> I've actually already started on the Middle Tennessee preview. Um, Brandon Patterson will have an article, David will have his normal coverage. Uh, I'll have an inside the numbers, Monday thoughts today. Yeah, I'm doing Monday thoughts today. It'll be out pretty late today. Um, I uh, what did I do this weekend? I had to had to mow a couple of lawns on Saturday, and I had to I had to clean out my garage. So I did that yesterday. So I sat down last night to watch the Tech game and really take notes. 
and I'm doing split screen with with the Virginia Tech game and Florida State and Notre Dame and that turned out to be a good game so it slowed me down <laughs> well the th- thing is like writing my article on Saturday like I didn't watch any football this weekend because I was yeah. so focused on on writing my my column yeah. but you know oh well we keep going off on tangents but I do want to mention Brian Kelly's comments after the game I feel like we have to that's kind of the buzz of social media right, right now right. I for those who haven't seen it, which, you, again, you must not be on social media if you haven't seen it, uh, Brian Kelly was asked about how his team played with Florida State coming all the way back in Notre Dame 1, and kind of out of nowhere, Brian Kelly decided, it was it Jim McKay who used to say, who, who said... I believe the question, Jim McKay, when he was coaching the Tampa Bay Bucks, they were terrible. I was a child. I remember them when they were an expansion team. They went 0-26 <laughs> in their first 26 games, and Jim McKay coached them, and he had a great sense of humor. And I believe a reporter asked him after the game, what do you think about your team's execution? And he said, oh, I'm in favor of it. <laughs> <laughs> so in the same sense, Brian Kelly was not asked about his team's execution, but decided to say, I'm in favor of my team's execution. I think my whole team may need to be executed after that game. Uh, Poorly thoughts? delivered. <laughs> just just a really bad joke. But then he followed up with uh, afterwards in the postgame press conference. He was like, what? People are really talking about that? Are you people crazy? So I thought that was. <laughs> I doubt his players thought one word about that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's just it's not even that big a deal. It's I think it's somewhat humorous to actually see Brian Kelly with a slight sense of humor. Try to make a joke. Yeah, I don't think that's ever happened before. I, I just think <laughs> it's funny seeing the entire clip and hearing the question because execution was not mentioned by the sideline reporter. She did not say the word. He right. had that thing queued up and ready to he go. He was ready. So we have some Virginia Tech football news. David Cunningham. The Texans reported that Tyrod Taylor will start for Houston this oh, week. Very oh, wow. cool. Nice. So hopefully his team doctors do yeah. not do anything bad this time. <laughs> Stab him or whatever. And he does not have any superstar rookie behind him this time. So I believe, I want to say Davis Webb is their backup, possibly. Whoever they took in the fourth round because Deshaun Watson is not he will sit on the roster but not play so I don't don't really follow the NFL how good are the Texans as a team they may be the worst team in all of football oh that's not so I believe if any team is going to go 0-17 this year it's probably the Houston Texans congratulations Tyrod hopefully (laughs) he stays upright Tyrod just well I guess the Dolphins have Tua now and it looks like he's going to be doing okay the Dolphins are a large reason why the Texans are the worst team in the NFL because they fleece them for that Laramie Tunsil trade so <laughs> Jake pays attention. <laughs> All right. Well, unless we have other tangents we want to go down, I think that will do it for episode 188 of the Tech Sideline podcast. I want to thank everybody. Will Stewart across the way, our founder and general manager. You can find him at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, our lead analyst and columnist. He is Chris Coleman at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Then we have our group around here. We have the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes, making his triumphant return today. To his left, Jack Brizen died behind the scenes, getting trained, shadowing here. And he will have Tech Talk Live notes tomorrow from uh, Justin Fuente's appearance at McLean. You have tonight. the worst job in the history of TSL. Thank you for doing it. Yep, I agree. I agree. He is running the new intern gauntlet. I had it for three years, and I'm pleased to pass the torch on to, to Jack Brizendine. And then our new position over here, Nick Brown, did a good job as our man in the chair, checking in on David Cunningham and and uh, our YouTube questions. Um, so that was episode 188 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Coming up later this week, we will do a full dive on Middle Tennessee State, get you set for Virginia Tech's second game of the season. We want to ask you to enjoy your week, and thank you for joining us here on episode 188.